Blog Talk Radio. All power is to oppressed people. African power to an African people and black power. It's your brother, your host, National Chairman Yang and Krumah, coming to you again Tuesday, People's Black Panther Party, Blog Talk Radio. Man, it's good to be back. I know I missed this a couple weeks. We've been um, traveling, uh, man, from, you know, personal to professional, and I tell you, it's taxing. And even that one attempt to really run the radio program, um, that didn't fall through. We may we're experiencing right now some technical difficulties, but and I have an ever waving commitment to try to bring to you um, revolutionary teachings, revolutionary inspiration, uplifting, positive, motivating speech about us as a people and some solutions to the problem we face. Man, here we are today, trying to be here, and I'm glad for those people that are sharing with me, allowing spending their Tuesday with me, man, and just want to build. Like I always say, and you know my philosophy, African communalism. Together, there's nothing we can accomplish. If we practice and begin to adapt the uh, morals and ethics of Europeans, and one of them being individualism, that so-called maverick, that lone ranger, that pull yourself up by the bootstraps, you can do it yourself, John, we will never accomplish anything. Divide and conquer. It's that simple. It's that simple. Today's topic, we're talking about how to know 
when war has been declared and forms of genocide. You know why it's important? I know a lot of us out there think, well, it's obvious. Anyone that doesn't understand that war has been declared against us, clearly there's something wrong with it. I think that, you know, that's yes and no. I think you're answering the question in your sarcasm and cynical, you know, and being cynical. Um, you're really answering the question. They don't know, not to that degree. When you've been born in war toward America, we're generations. I mean, we've been engaged in war. You know my philosophy. The resistance began, the war began, the first shots were fired when the first captain tried to enslave or even if they succeeded in enslaving the African man and woman, as soon as that brother or sister yanked back, tugged, showed some type of defiance, some type of resistance, there began the start of our revolution. That's our Crispus Attis, his, Chris, what's his name, Crispus Attis moment. That was the first shot declared when they began to not see us as human beings and think that enslaving us was a viable option for any type of development in any civilization. Point blank, we weren't with it. So the war was declared, but as time goes on and generations are born, we know about the translating, the Ma'afa, the uh, uh, transatlantic slave trade, even for those brothers and sisters that are now in this indigenous movement, even for you brothers and sisters, what happened to some of those indigenous communities where the Europeans labeled them as runaway slaves? So some of them still got the treatment. And if they didn't, then you're getting the treatment. Even if you're from that movement, you're getting the treatment of being labeled from the Negroid uh, classification of human species because you look a certain type. They don't give a damn. They're not stopping you on the street and swabbing you. Oh, he has three-fifths Scottish in him. Let him ride. There's none of that. If you have a certain melon type, and it doesn't have to be, it can be a drop. They beating light-skinned niggas. Please believe they are beating light-skinned niggas. Don't, I'll be sure it's played out. Do not think that that's fine. If you fit a certain type, then you're subject to a certain type of treatment. And after generations of that, generations upon generations of that, the unfortunate truth about it is you become numb to it. It becomes commonplace. It's what you've seen every day. It's not out of place. You've never known freedom. You've never known freedom from tyranny freedom from uh, verbal or physical uh, intimidation, harassment, sometimes even the fulfillment of these threats to the actual manifestation of death. Sometimes these white boys, these crackers would show up and kill us, a lot of times, more times than not. History is replete of the terrors we as an African, we in America have faced. And you go on and you begin to develop a callus. It's all natural. This is what the brain does to help you uh, cope with your with the, the stress of your everyday living. So kudos to those brothers and sisters, those of us that go out there and make it and facing this madness, this this insanity that has been visited upon us, the crimes being perpetrated upon us still go out with some type of measure of sense and try to eke out a living. But this is also, and this is why I believe in communalism, this is also more reason that we should be compassionate to the brothers and sisters who haven't quite been able to cope with the stress of living in white 
racist America, especially in the current climate. It is stressful. So war has been declared on us from the beginning. We've It's not just now being declared on us. We've been in the war, but one of the difficult tasks is to get our people to know that we're in a war. We, we accept substandards and secondary conditions. We accept it as commonplace. Question it. I'm going to tell you what my trips and my journeys back and forth through this country of ours <laughs> has taught me that in the various cities that I've been in, one thing I've noticed is that has been consistent to amount that I'm in it. That has been the reoccurring theme. I have been subject to, uh, man, just, I mean, some, in, in a lot of instances, white people just tell me, all right, I'm lying. You know what I'm saying? Luggage has been withheld. Man, you'll be surprised at what you go through traveling. That, that the, I can see what the Honorable Marcus Messiah Garvey was saying, that wherever he went, he found that black people were in the same conditions. The same conditions. And what happens to us is so commonplace and we don't travel that it's the norm. It's the norm. And we begin to think that if we could if reach a certain class, economic class, if we move to another city, if we do this, we will escape it, not understanding that it is interwoven into the very fabric of America. Just like international wars make dollars for them, this national war against you and I, against minority people, but I'm talking about you and I specifically right now. The Mexicans have their spokesmen. The Italians have their people have their spokesmen. I'm talking to you and I. Sounds strange, that. See, it's a whole different story. They can scream and warn their people about war. I was reading where even some of these, uh, um, they call themselves constitutionalists, oath keepers, I believe, are developing a training camp. They can scream war and go to such a degree that they would even begin to arm themselves and train for that. That that ought to be frightening to black people. This is to the extent that they will go to. I'm asking us to be, I'm not asking us not to be prepared, but I'm asking us because I'm talking to the general masses. Maybe some of you may be frightened of that level. It's cool. It's different levels in the revolution, but I'm talking to us to at first knowledge we're at war and begin to do what people do when they're under attack, and that's to inoculate, to fortify, and insulate themselves. We get rid of those things that are not beneficial. We come together. We begin to build for the inevitable. We see it trickling. I think that since we've become a microwave age, this is how, one of the ways I know that, that we're at war and that our enemy has studied us because we've become a microwave age. We've become, we want everything so instantaneous. We believe that it should manifest right now. And even that way, when we say war is waged against us, we watch television, so we're looking for um, planes and tanks to come in and soldiers to jump out with machine guns and to herd us into boxcars and ride us off to concentration camps. Not at this moment, my friend. War is subtle, war is subtle, war is subtle, and it's in phases. And they begin to weaken 
the people that they that they're gonna wage war on, that they're gonna before they even get to that bliss, they begin to weaken that people. We see it all throughout their history. One prime example, since I you know, since I know all of us at least on the phone as being Africans here raised in America share some kind of common um, history, understanding of the development of Americans because we grew up in their schools. So you knew like for 1490, what it was, 1492, Columbus, so we learned those things. So I call on, I'm calling on the memory and from what they teach in history, how you know it was more subtle. When they came in with the so-called Native Americans, it wasn't a blitz creek overnight. It was subtle. They introduced various things to them from their understanding of God, their concept of God and understanding of Jesus, to vices such as alcohol and um, other things. And the people's disposition didn't agree with not only the vices that they were that were they were introduced to and uh, injected into their society, but also the morals and the ethics that came with the vices. See, in order to introduce certain vices, you have to lower the moral and the ethics. <laughs> You see, certain things are not going to fly in the blood. You know, regardless of how degenerate we're becoming as a people, which saddens me, there are still certain things that we say, well, you know, black folks just don't do. And it's coming, believe me, you, it's getting, it's getting harder and harder to say that because we have begun to assimilate just that much. This is also the other thing that war wages against you. They have to begin to develop a system of, okay, so first we agree they come in, they begin to weaken. They introduce devices that weaken psychologically, physically. It brings on addictions. In the 10-point platform, uh, uh, the program platform, the Black People's Black Family Party of Self-Determination, we talk about how we want an end to chemical warfare. We understand what chemical warfare was intended to do and we see the results of chemical warfare targeted against the African people here in America. So we want an end to that because we understand that's a phase of uh, the of, of of what you're trying to accomplish. That's just a step. And after you begin to weaken the people, after you begin to uh, economically deprive the people and exploit the people then you be have to, in order to maintain a certain amount of control and terror through fear and intimidation, you have to begin to create a system of collaborators to have what you call what we were calling Uncle Tom Negroes and stuff like that. You have to have a system of collaborators. So you find them, you find the people, uh, the state launching program, that being a part of their program, finding sellouts. Now, here's the funny thing about the sellout in this day and time, and this is what we're talking about. When you talk about war, you have to be talking about in the present tense. History is important. This is why we have Sun Tzu. This is why we have, you know, they say MacArthur, whatever, you know, uh, 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 Caesar, Julius Caesar, whatever, you know, generals, strategies, they study it because history is important to understand. It's like chess. You know, there's so many moves. Certain things are going to be basic in, you know, warfare. There's going to be, you know, it's mathematical principles. 
certain things are going to yield a certain outcome. It's inevitable. All the principles and everything line up. So we understand that. But when you're talking about war, you have to also, with knowing having historic references, you have to be aware of the present, of the now. They say that's the markings of intelligence, an intelligent being in an intelligent nation. An intelligent being has a grasp of who they are and their relation to the universe and who, what the universe is and its relation to them and their current situation. That's intelligence. They can deduce. They can reason. They understand what's beneficial and what's harmful. That's intelligence. So when we're talking about war, having not only historical references, but having assessment, a, a, a real assessment of the current situation that they are in individually and collectively as a people that we're in and begin to build solutions and strategies that address those particular issues. And this is, and this is, so that's the evolution of war. That's where we're at. Do you think the enemy don't know that? So the old Uncle Tom, that old shucking and jiving, that house Negro, that Yezza balls it, who you clearly knew was Uncle Tom, and he didn't give a damn if you knew his Uncle Tom, is ineffective. The movement has shifted. He's ineffective. That Negro is dead. You have to understand your oppressor knows you don't trust that Negro. You have demonized that Negro. You have made caricatures of that Negro. You have made that Negro, you have made that Negro such in the black community that those are fighting words to be called an open time. So the oppressor has to go to the streets. Got to go in the trenches. Got to get real niggas. And this is the sad part because this is how they they flip real niggas. They say, oh, be snitching, ain't a real nigga. Be snitching, ain't a real nigga. That's what, what gets me. And I feel what you're saying. Oh, he be snitched for money. He ain't no real nigga. Nigga sold out, he snitched for money. But he can sell crack cocaine to a pregnant woman. He a real nigga. I, I mean, I ain't listen. Don't get mad at me. Don't shoot him. I'm just saying, listen to your reason. I'm not condoning collaboration with you, but it's in our principle. We don't collaborate with the oppressor. I'm just saying, listen to what you're saying. If he takes money for telling, he ain't no real nigga. But if he takes money from this sister selling her body, he's a real nigga. Hmm. Hmm. So you think on it. So, but they take the brother or the sister who is well attending, well meaning. They just trying to survive like everybody else. And they create such conditions that when they flash that money, the temptation, in most times or not, is overwhelming. It's overwhelming. They say, "Well, you know, listen, Chairman Yang, how do you feel about that?" And it's over. That's when I know that us as revolutionaries have to not only preach and live the ideology of black nationalism, collectivism, you know what I'm saying, working together, overcoming as a people, but creating programs to change the social and cultural environment. What I mean is we got to create shit that people want to defend. They don't want to tell on. They want to be a part of. 
They see it as a part of themselves, just addressing their everyday issue. Not just their needs, but it also encompasses their desires. See, this is how you start to limit the participation of the masses with the enemy, with the oppressor. By creating, by going back to uh, giving them a strong ideology, such a strong ideology, but breaking it down where it can be grasped and not just grasped, but where they can begin to implement it in their lives and live it in their lives. And once they get a taste of it and begin to see the transformation that it makes in themselves and their wives and their children and their community as a whole and become something that is uh, as close to them as their shadow, as inseparable as a shadow, believe me, you, they will defend it with their lives. But that's only if it's a thing of substance. And that's what we're lacking. Number four, and we're talking about war being waged, and these are all before gunshots. I'm fighting the revolution about gunshot. Man, they ain't even had to pick up a gun. The conditioning is so real that they're not worried about picking up their gun on you yet. Black men like that, they do that for sport. They do that for they do that for sport, not because they really fear at this time that you're organized threat. It is terror tactics. It's the equivalent of the Taliban taking someone in a soccer stadium and beheading them. It's for shock value, it's shock and awe, and it's effective. It's effective. The problem is I, we don't know what effect it's going to have because <laughs> black people are you know. Let me just say this, the law of self, the law, the first law of nature is self-preservation. I mean, at some point, black people have to say, I don't want to die. You know, not just that my life matters. Like, look, I'm not trying to die, man. I'm not trying to kill nothing, and ain't nobody trying to die. But dang. So the third thing after we do the collaborators, how do they also wage war? We talked about in order for collaborators to come in, in order for the community to be lowered with the devices, we talked about the morals and ethics and flooding their every desire. You say, shit, they flood me with my every desire. No, they haven't placed it in your lap like that. But they give you, they dangle it in front of you. It's there. It's real. You can have it if you're willing to do whatever you have to do to get it. And that's dangerous because it is not beneficial. So they get us the, basically what I'm saying, one of their ways and tactics is consumerism and materialism. Surplus. Things you don't need. This is why the revolutionary type to them is so dangerous because the revolutionary type minimizes their um, what they have things that are beneficial. I'm not saying don't be sporty, don't look, hear me out, be chic. You know, from what I'm remembering, you know, I was a, a youngin in the seventies, wasn't there in the sixties, but just going back like a lot of my comrades, a lot of my peer group do, look, they look very chic, man. They was hip. They was cool. They looked like they was happening. It's real hip. I'm talking about real cool. So I'm not saying that the revolutionary brother and sister 
doesn't have a flair, doesn't have a swagger, doesn't have an attraction or appeal to themselves. What I'm saying is it's all within a reason. The appeal to that brother or sister revolutionary is an appeal based on really the character that they possess, not the brand that they're wearing. The true revolutionary is very aware of capitalism, of their ability to limit their participation in just gross capitalism, just uh, flagrant capitalism. You're in a capitalist country. You're going to stand. You know, get the baby your shoes. Don't be, look, don't be one of those. Um, you know, I'm not getting shoes. I'm not buying for I'm going to make some wood sandals. If you ain't making them that are comfortable and look halfway decent, you know, be that alone. Go get the shoes. But the revolutionary is conscious because the revolutionary understands, like I said, that war has been declared and that he or she can't continue to fund the oppressor's war chest. This is what you're doing. What I'm doing, what we're doing when we spend unconsciously and without accountability, we are funding the oppressor's war chest. They don't make the the vest and the bullets and the cars and the um, helicopters and all that thing right there at your local precinct. It takes money. They have budgets. And they get it from tax dollars. And you pay taxes on things. So you're going to have to pay taxes on things, so why not be mindful of the things that you pay taxes on? We limit the unnecessary spending. We can't afford to keep funding the oppressor's war chest against us. You see? So this is when we talk about knowing um, war is declared on you, the conscious one is aware of, like I said, the... the, uh, materialism and consumerism and tries to limit their, his or her participation in that aspect of it. You're listening to the People's Black Panther Party, Blog Talk Radio, man, on a Tuesday. Getting caught up, haven't been with us in two weeks, and we're just rapping about how do you know war has been declared against us. If you want to say something, you know our floors are always open. You know the routine. Push one, we'll recognize you, and we can rap and have a discussion. If not, we just keep it rapid. So we talk about this war. Now, why would they declare war? Why would war of the uh, African here in America be so important? What's the use? A lot of it is, like I said, and everybody has their theories, but a lot of it, like you said, is population control and this and that, but it just boils down to that a certain need you feel as a black man and a black woman is over. Is over. And it was never intended for you to have your full rights. And even the little rights you have are amendments to a constitution that periodically have to be voted on to carry it out. If that's not a war against a certain population of a nation, then I don't know what is. But as long as they can have you and I continuously giving over without any resistance, our destiny, the direction that we're going in, the way that we structure and formulate our neighborhoods, our communities, socially and culturally, how we interact, we're allowing other people to dictate that through their media, through the music that they promote, even though it's Negroes, I say Negroes. Even though it's those Negroes 
being the artists, the producers, and the ones that promote it and put it out and make sure that it's in constant rotation are other than the Negroes. So they control what messages are being sent, not just to the Bay. I love we always say, you know, they influence those babies' minds. I hear adults walking around singing some of this stuff, too. So we we fail to control our airwaves. We don't find ways to promote what we have in the in this age of technology, in this age of comfort, and I mean comfort beyond belief. They have cars that can park themselves now. You don't even have to worry about parking. Push the button. Creature comforts. In this age of comfort, we have forgot what it means to truly struggle for liberation. In the sense of struggling, meaning conviction for a fight, those very things, starting not at the grassroots, like Chairman Carr says, we're not the grassroots, we're the dirt roots. Going, going beyond a grassroots movement, going back to the very foundation and uplifting ourselves. Sometimes for us, we talk about we must think that that's too small. You know, we are so grandiose. If I don't have this building, if I don't have this many people coming out for a meeting. But it can start as something simple as a discussion group in your living room. Like I said, a lot of us share the same common understanding and history of the founding of this country because we were taught, you know, we state babies. We went to public school in America. We state babies. So we understand when we talk about revolution, a lot of our first understanding of revolution was through their revolution. And we were taught in their revolution that they first met in taverns or wherever. They say wherever freedom-loving people were meeting. See, they buy into that. They celebrate that. You and I think that we got to sell out the stadium like Farrakhan or we got to have this and that and just don't have everyday discussions with brothers and sisters that we're dear to to figure out a way to get it to the brothers and sisters that we're not always so familiar with, comfortable with, or even talk to at all. But allowing the understanding that the responsibility, the accountability of being black in America is laid upon each and every one of us. I think one of the things that I did like when we talk about the third development, um, you know, in our understanding we teach in development of the Panther Formation, for whom a lot is called the original, uh, is the way that Huey used uh, third world countries in relation to the black revolution, the African in America revolution, how he tied it in. I think that that was wonderful because it gave perspective. Not only on a political stance did it tie our revolution into an international revolution, that this wasn't a group of local thugs, it wasn't some upset Negroes, it wasn't a gang of niggas that just decided to shoot out, that it was a real international revolution, it was a real revolution way right here that was part of the international revolution for liberation of oppressed people. I struggled in there. You want to talk about pro- I love it. I get with the Palestinians. Yes, and the Palestinians. So I said, but yeah, and the Panthers. I get with the, the, the Lebanese. Yes, the Lebanese. I said, yeah, and the Panthers. See, I let them know we had a struggle too. Too many times we allow people to get that shit off on us. Like they were the only ones that had a revolution struggle. When Ayatollah Khomeini, yeah, 
And when the Panthers, you see, we had a struggle too, so it was international. So I love that he equated our struggle and was able to tie our struggle into third world struggles. So it gave that legitimacy and also a perspective of, of, of what we were facing on a international scale because a lot of these agencies cross-train. And I don't care what the name of a country is, but fascism is fascism. But is Italy or America under Trump administration? <laughs> fascism is fascism. You see? So these things had to be taught. So he brought that, that wider perspective. So in that perspective anyway, because I don't want to digress, we talk about, we look at uh, the Vietnam struggle. And one of the things that you find when you find in the Vietnam struggle, one of the things that stick out to me, because there's many things that you can observe when you observe how they say the ant was their general and the underground. I mean, it's just amazing. But one of the things that you find, and no and listen, my uncle was in Vietnam, my great, Great, and yeah, my great uncle was a Vietnam vessel. No disrespect to the cats that fought, to the brothers that lost their lives and fought over there. I love black people. But when we're talking about the Vietnam, one of the things that we see that was um, consistent that they had was a strong, that stood out to me, was a strong ideology. It was a protracted struggle. The ideology was so strong it became ingrained in their protracted struggle. They said, Channel Yang, what is a protracted struggle? It's a generational struggle. It is a knowledge of resistance that is passed on from generation to generation that makes it a part of their social, cultural, psychological understanding that liberation will be had only through resistance. And it is your obligation as a Vietnamese, and like I'm telling you, brother, sister, as an African in America, to constantly struggle against oppression and the destruction and the genocide of the black man and the black woman here in America. It doesn't take all of that. I'm not saying you got to get a gang of tapes, a gang of books to sit down. I'm saying be conscious of what you do and what you say. Let it be gazed by the compass of black empowerment, even your speech, that's where it starts. Like I told you, too many of us try to start off when we first get in this thing, start off running. We're like babies want to run a marathon, want to get all the knowledge and want to be up there speaking, and, and that's cool. That's I'm not, I, Listen, I always applaud the passion of the newer members that come in because I love it. I love that passion. I tell them to temper it, and it's a long road, brother. You tell the brother been in it for a minute. It's a long road, so you want to pace it. But I applaud it. But I just never lose sight of what the mission is. The mission is not you. Never forget what's going down. We at war. A war has been declared. We're in the middle of a fight, and that's part of the trick. Part of the trick is to ease some of the tension, maybe to shine some of the spotlight on you so you start feeling dynamic and start running your mouth and get you jammed up, tripped up, flipped up. Losing sight. Losing focus. Ever ever vigilant. And that's what we have to be. So that's what the war is to me because, I mean, like I said, we we always hear people say, we're at war, we're at war, we're at war. And I never, you know, I've never heard anybody say exactly what that means. 
If you got something to say, you're more than welcome to press once. What's your take on it? Mine's a little different because I, you know, you know what I'm saying? Mine's a little different because, you know, I just don't see the blatant. I just don't see the, with the straight gun attacks. I mean, not that I'm not, don't see it happening. I just don't see that alone. I'm looking at the bigger picture of this thing. And always that they're coming. I know they're coming with them things. Bah. That's what we say in, in Georgia. I know they got them things. Bah. I know they're coming with them guns. I mean, that's obvious. But we're talking about the subtle attacks, the other little attacks, the other ways that they have come at us and continue to come at us. And in the now, how can we avert this, us being in war? How can we first twofold question, alert the masses of people, and then begin to um, organize them in such a manner that it becomes a defense and eventually proactive, not just reactive and not just responsive, but proactive to the to the cause of liberation. Let's go to the phone line. Let me see. All right, channel call. Assalamualaikum, Black Power Comrades. Uh, let me just add on in continuation uh, with that war uh, because that's uh, one of the ways that they moved in and hoping to destroy the Black Panther Party that I came through during the 60s and refrained as one Luba Seven trying to clean the community of Haran. And that's before opium came in. Haran was the king and Mestodon was the emperor. The street brothers were pushing Haran and the government were pushing Mestodon. They would give you uh, a Mestodon packet on the weekend and you go home and they say this is going to wean you off Haran. But what Methadon did was deteriorate your brains and your bone marrow. So when Yanga talk about organizing community and a war is being waged, many times the war is not waged by arms or bullets. The war is waged economically, spiritually, and we definitely got to talk about physically today as well. And what the world that we fight now is the uh, media. And the media is used today to criminalize a generation of youth that every young black man today, they flash him on television. A sister, they flash him on television. Or they flash him in the newspaper. So that's called uh, criminalized. Now, one of the greatest revolutions in America was fought between white folks, between the British and America. Taxation without representation. And we as a people have been kidnapped 
And we the only people that walking around and don't want to talk about we are Africans and that that was a crime committed. You're going to never yeah. see the Italian forget Mussolini. You ain't yeah. going to never forget the indigenous people forgetting custom. You ain't going to never forget those who say they Jews forget Hitler. But we done came here and got comfortable and don't know that we are the descendants of kidnapped people where we done fell in love with the kidnappers. Yeah. And I we comfortable with the kidnappers. Yeah. And one of the genocide is to to take your name and brand you. That's what they do with the animals on the plantation. I want to go back and, and touch on something that you said um, when you talk about uh, when you talk about. I'm sorry, I'm having these technical difficulties. Okay, when you talk about, you know, when you talk about us, it's not so much that just that we're the only. Um, people like that, you know, I think that they have made being black so shameful. Like I was saying earlier, we come up, we generations and generations war-torn baby. You know, we come, you you were absolutely right when you were saying that we come from the descendants of a kidnapped people. Like, like you, I've even heard you say that we were in war when the captains first came over there. So we're generations and generations of war-torn babies. We suffer from post-traumatic slave disorder. I could care less you know, what the psychologist says. Then let me tell you, it is real. It is real. And I'm sure some of my same thing. more studious, yeah, some of my more studious uh, researchers out there which can definitely jump in and, and can, can come on and find a case study that say that. But why I say that, so I think that what the black man and the black woman begin to start doing is divorcing themselves from the identity of being black you'll find us running to everything else. Like I said, now it's a big thing. This indigenous movement is really taking off and being big for people. And I don't have a, and I'm, and I'm going to close out right with this. I don't have a problem that's with that. That's called cultural genocide. When they take your name, they take your culture, you become dead. A lion in the zoo, he's a king in the jungle, but a pussycat in the zoo. They have taken his character. They had destroyed him for being a lion where the European could stick his head in his mouth. He wouldn't dare do that in the jungle. And I'm saying that they take the African man and woman, take our culture and say, you are not a black man, you are not a black woman, you're not a human being. You're other than that. That's why. And let me bring it down and make it damn real. Let me, let, let me Marcus Garvey. Wait, 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 wait. Marcus Garvey had a movement called the Universal Negro Improvement Association. A lot of people don't know what that means. They thought, man, Marcus Garvey talking about Negro. No, I say the Universal. That's me. First Negro, Negro Improvement Association and African Community League. 
that once a Negro improved, then he know who his roots is. Michael went and know his roots, and he came back over Wallet. Yep. A lot of brothers and sisters don't even talk about that. Don't know that. Gabby, he did the board, the one who fought against Michael Garvey, Michael Garvey, and that's where he made the transition. We all got to look back at home. Sure, Carl, let me jump in real quick, because I do want to go back to that, because that's absolutely right. I think that, you know, uh, uh, knowledge of who you are is important. And I think that we're getting a lot of brothers are getting that. What I'm talking about is how they discourage that, you know what I'm saying? We're talking about the discouragement of it. I think that it's easier. Black people find it easier to disassociate from being uh, an American black or black here in America that's went through that experience than being something else. They'd rather be something totally foreign. You know, even if that means adapting to a foreign food, language, and dress, black people will totally divorce themselves That's right. from um you know from 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 the African culture. And it's by design. I can remember I was telling someone I don't think we intend to do it. I remember I was talking to someone I was talking about my grandmother, how my grandmother made me scared of Africa. I did not want to go to Africa. If I if she got some shoes I didn't like, I'd be like, Grandmother, I you know, I don't like those shoes. She said, like, Children in Africa ain't got no shoes. If she makes something I didn't want to eat, I say, Grandmother, I don't want to eat this. She said, like, Children in Africa ain't got no food. I was like, damn, children in Africa don't have anything. You know, you watch the Tarzan movies. The brothers got whole living room suits on their head. You know what I'm saying? And everybody, and then, you know, one white man in the jungle riding an elephant hollering, the brothers are dropping uh, three uh, uh, love seats and everything trying to get out of the jungle. So Africa, to be remotely related to Africa, I think was always, at the very least subconsciously, discouraged. You know what I'm saying? They didn't want us oh, to. Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, let me just share this. See, it's a lot of brothers and sisters don't know. And I want to share this. America fit in Africa more than five times. Africa is not a country. Africa is a continent. And yeah. they don't understand that. There's universities in Africa. And what the media show, those who have been colonized, and the Delta and everything, they show those brothers and sisters. But they don't show the Africans graduating from the universities. But they don't show the Africans driving nice cars. They don't show the Africa. They take that part of Africa, and many of our brothers and sisters think Africa is a country. And I know people are lying now think Africa is a country. Africa is a continent. Now, you consider all up in Africa. And yeah, so we I, have civilization, institution, and scholars, and we still do. And I, half of the movement on the planet. I, I don't even think, I don't even think, I'm going to tell you something. Because, I, you know, there's really been a uh, African, a cultural revolution. I ain't even going to say cultural revolution. And y'all seen it in the 70s. I'm going to say, yeah, I say revolution in the sense of, making a complete comeback around because y'all saw it in the 70s. But we've really entered into that whole stage again where black is beautiful, the brothers and sisters are dawning in African attire, and it's very beautiful cosmetically. It is very, very beautiful. Um, but I think that what is really missing there again is that peace, that component of attachment to 
being African in America and the whole experience we have. We went through we the African phase we're going through now, and the only reason I call it the phase is because I've seen this. We went through it with the uh, Hebrew-Israelite stage, in the Islamic stage. Now we're going through an African stage of romanticizing um, ancient Africa in an attempt to escape the brutality that we face Please on a day-to-day. You know what I'm saying? I think that that's one of the um, – mute that. Let me do So I think that that's – Yeah. Let me just say this. Africa have saved the Black Panthers. Now, let's talk about the Black Panthers. I ain't talking about those who call themselves new Black Panthers and did different formations. I'm talking about the Panthers that are still incarcerated in the penitentiary and those Panthers who are in exile. Prisoner of war and political prisoner. It was the Congos that took the Panthers in. It was Algiers that took the Panthers in. It was Zania that took the Panthers in. Before we even went to Cuba to take refugees to protect ourselves, we went to Africa. We had an international chapter in Algiers. Okay? We had a sub-chapter in the Congos. So Africa was our base as Black Panther. We understood we were African people, and Africa came through and supported us. Chairman Cobb, let me go. Yes, let me go. Let's go to our phone lines because our phone lines are like right. Uh, let's go to uh, our station callers. Area code eight three two six one five one. Your mic is open. All power to the people, black power. Man, all power this to is, the uh, people, man. What's your chair? This is Chairman James Austin Chapter. All honors to you, Honorable Chairman, and to the members here. And, you know, I'm just sitting here, Brother Chairman, and, you know, my understanding of it is that um, us as a people, not Say. totally, Say. but... Say, brother. <laughs> brother, brother Chairman, let me cut yes, you off because I'm sorry we got... Two, we got two chairmen on, so you might, you know, it might be a little bit. I know you have to get used to it because I'm your chairman, but I need you probably to say Chairman Yanger. Oh, yeah, yes, so, sir. Honorable yes, chairman. chairman Yanger. Yes, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And, you know, it's, 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 it's just my belief that we as a people, to a certain degree, have been codependent on uh, America and the Europeans' I- identity and to, to really just solidify ourselves. You know, and a lot of people, from what I see, seems like they don't want to break away from any of this systematic structure because they feel like they'll lose themselves. And and, 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 and to a certain degree, it shows that they don't believe in themselves and not realizing that we are the original people. So, therefore, you know, if, if, if we get back into ourselves and understand who we are and realize what we're facing and what we're going through, you know, get, think we find a purpose in the cause and you know uh our honorable chief of staff national chief of staff brother war you know he he, he always says that you know you, you got to get into yourself you got you got to love yourself you got to know who you are and know and know where you come from to understand your strengths and and understand your abilities to push forth you know and that's what i'm seeing brother i talk to a lot of brothers and they hear they understand they realize but they're still sympathetic to the caucasians needs like you know, it's like brothers and sisters, kids are dying every day. 
were dying, we're getting killed in the streets. And to a lot of brothers and sisters, it don't matter. But soon as another race or tragedy happens in another race or a flood and we see tragedy with another race, then we're sympathetic and we want to go out and reach out to these people. But when it comes to our own people, then we're stutter stepping and we got excuses or we're talking about there go these people with this black stuff. How is it going to be some black stuff when you are of African-American descendants? So once again, that's just my take of it. And, and my take of it is that we have to come out of that identity within them people. So therefore, we got to know ourselves. We got to focus our, on ourselves. We have to believe in ourselves. And it's, it's my belief that every second of the day should be ex- invested in, in, in ourselves and in our people. And we don't got no time for nothing else. See, I ain't got no time to be worried about what this white race doing what this other race mm-hmm. doing with all these problems in my race and me being a black man. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. what I have to say. You program about, and, and it's why Yanga had a radio program. We have yeah, to be educate ourselves. Yes, sir. Let me address it. And then I'm going to get, then we're going to bring Sam McCarthy because we got one more call or two that we want to get. But, um, yes, sir. And Sam McCarthy because I want to address that. Uh, and that's to me, and that's what I go back to, always stressing the importance of black nationalism. Yes, sir. You know what I'm saying? You got to understand, when we have those people that are more concerned about other people, you have to look at their life philosophy. What is their guiding viewpoint of life? If, if it's not race first. If you're not practicing black nationalism, if you're not saying, is this in betterment of black people? Right. Then, you know, if this, if, this, if this is not going to help black people, then why am I participating? There you go. Right. You know, that's what we're So that's the whole guy's point. And then, and two, how is that brought across? A lot of times we have to understand we have to get out of this age. I know it's 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 so tempting because we are in the age of social media, we're in the age of sensationalism. Everything's bigger than life. All the glitz, the camera, the action—you can catch everything live. Everything is live on Facebook. Everything from murders yes, to some of the most gross, inhumane treatment of one another that human beings have ever witnessed and displayed. We have become a nation of warriors. We watch all kinds of sick, perverse shit. So what our people have to begin to see, but you and I who profess a revolutionary lifestyle have to begin to try to um, live, show by example to our life, is black nationalism in the everyday. How we eat, what money we spend, how we interact with one another, and one of the ways we do that, and this is why I'm glad that you're aboard and, and, and Austin, Texas is aboard, is one of the ways Thank we you, do sir. that is through brotherhood and sisterhood that the party that our organizations exemplify. Because our people, whether they know it or not, are looking for that organization. Right. They're looking for that. Chairman Gard, did you want to address this? Uh, no. Uh, you have made it clear invested in one is that in terms of black nationalism in terms we have to uh reprogram and I don't like that term but that's the only way I make it clear. Yes sir. Back to to who we are. 
is too many times we had, brother, and this is my biggest criticism, and I don't care who, like it or not, but it's reality. We had a million men go to Washington, a million men go to Washington, a million more women go to Washington, and we took a players, the black national players, I got it on me, in my house, and we come back home and do nothing. You right. know, that ain't got nothing to do with the Caucasian. That got something to do with lazy Negroes. That we have to be revolutionized as individuals before we can move forward. And I always ask a question. They had a big fire in California that burned down everything. But it wasn't a fire. It was a spark. So each one of us are spark to set a fire. And yes, so we ourselves become that fire, ain't nothing going to happen. And so we have to be the one that set that spark. And it's going to be hard. Ho Chi Minh started out, but the Vietnamese people been oppressed by the Japanese. They've been oppressed by a whole lot of people. But when uh, Ho Chi Minh started Marcus Messiah Garvey when he was in the United States. When Kwame Nkrumah studied Marcus Garvey, oh, man, I can name it. When they studied our movement here, they went back to Africa and implemented those movements. That's yeah, right why Malcolm was so much welcome there. Because they recognized that our movement and being kidnapped and brought here across the ocean and we organized and gave them spots. And gave them right so much spots that now they say I got to organize the organization of Afro American Unity after organization of unity. Yes, sir. You know, so yes, I'm saying you walking, you might walk by yourself, brother, but let me tell you something. Ain't nothing but love and respect for you. But when you walk, guess what? You walking with a million ancestors. Right Black on. power. Thank and you. I'm Thank not you. being spooky. Black power. Black power. Black power. Black power on that. Let me go to, uh, Black power. Let me go to the phone line. I appreciate you. Black power, brother, chairman. I appreciate you uh, calling Black power. Black power. Black power. Let's go to our phone line again, man. Let's call 901-2856. Let me see if I can, because I'm having these technical difficulties trying to open these mics. Sure, Simón, okay. para la causa, para la causa siempre, all power to la gente, all power to la causa, all power to la raza, all power, black and brown pride, black and brown power. My name is Slugler Vato, it's my hip-hop stage name, Anthony Figueroa, my government name, uh, the Brown Berets, the Memphis, Tennessee. How are you guys doing? Well, brother, we will. I can ride with the phone, man. My question for you guys, um, and we've always rolled with the Black Panthers since the 60s, and uh, under the Chicano movement and La Raza Unida, we always had a partnership, you know, with Fred Hampton and Huey P. Newton, and... One thing 
in this day and age, 2018, that I, I would like to address as, a, as an entertainer, as, a, as an artist, as a hip-hop artist, who is also, uh, you know, with La Causa, is how do we decolonize the entertainment industry, which we help build? That's a good question. That is a good, that is a good question. Um, I think a lot of that, man, you, you're talking about hard work. See, I'm an old hip, I'm an old dude. So I remember when hip-hop was underground, you know. Um, and so, like I said, I remember when brothers was pushing their joints out the back of their trunks, that type of how much, you, you know, hip-hop traveled. If you, you had to be good because it traveled by word of mouth when we controlled it. I'm from that era. Uh, I just think when, you know, with, with, with the uh, attack on us as a minority people and one of those attacks being materialism, materialism and consumerism, which is one of the biggest weapons of capitalism, uh, is that we just don't have the drive. We just sold out. It's what they call selling out. We don't have the we don't have the drive, nor the um, we don't have the drive, nor the uh, commitment, the will to go on and just get back to it and take it back to what it takes to do that. Let me get started, comrade. Are you still there? Yes. Yeah. Uh, one of the things also too, there was an attack on. Uh, the broadcast, we had what we call the last poets. We had Marvin Gaye keep on pushing. We moving on up. We had James Brown say, live, we black and proud. So we had music back then because we had our own recording studio. Right now, the Zion is controlling most of all the labels. We got to get back and become independent and set up our own studios. And I came through that 62. And uh, we had a march, 5,000. We were marching with the Young Lords. You ever heard of the Young Lords? Young Lords, the Boricuas in Chicago and New York. And we uh, worked with the Brown Beret. Orderly. We, um, so I'm hoping on the, on at least on the hip-hop thing that you got a little, us pointing back to the music industry, that you got a little bit of insight of what we were trying to, you know, what we were trying to do and trying to take. It's just going to be like anything, man. It's just going to take the work and the effort. I couldn't speak more into it because I'm not in that action, in that field. But I would like to see, you know, uh, uh, our people in that field get it, get it together and really just work on trying to do something like that. But we need more rubber biases and more technique, and we need yeah. less uh, little pumps. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. 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 Well, listen, brother, I definitely thank you for calling in, man. I'm going to keep listening. If you want to come back in, I'm going to put your, your mic on mute if you want to come back in, hit one again, and uh, number reference I love. Let me go to our phone lines. One more time. This, this I believe, is uh, what it is. have a little difficulty getting it together. Like I said, we're in the field, but it's that commitment to try to bring the radio program through that keeps us pushing, you dig? 
let's see if we can get it together here. I believe this is our dear brother. 619-9979. All the people, Chairman Yanga and Chairman Kahal, this is our national super staff for the war. Hey, I just wanted to ask, answer that last caller's question because I mean, you know, I deal with the music industry. And uh, going back to one of the things Kahal talked about, going back to James Brown, he's a perfect example from that era of how you become strong in the music industry in terms of having your own publishing rights, making sure that you have control over your product. One of the biggest things that has taken place in nowadays in regards to music artists that fail, what they fail to realize is understanding the business side of music. It has always been the lack of knowledge in terms of the business side of music that has caused a downfall, that causes us continue to be uh, pimped and manipulated in the system because we don't study law, we don't study contract, we don't understand and study business. We simply run off our talents. And mind you, in regards to the entire in, uh, entertainment industry, they operate on those logistics that we don't read, we don't study, we don't grow. And therefore, they bring the attorneys, they bring the, uh, the uh, accountants in, and they say, we're going to handle all this, we're going to make you a star. And they shove that in your face, and they, on the backside, write up your contracts, give you a tiny percentage, and basically you go in debt because you're looking at this uh, position of where they, they, they throw you a, uh, an advance on your contract, roughly $200,000, and make you think that you're going to make money and, and be big. But in, in fact, what you do is you end up being in a hole because you owe for every single thing that happens as it revolves around your music career. So those first two albums, you are negative. So the only money you're going to see is when you get out on the road and do shows because you ain't going to see anything off the record sales. Plus, you signed away your publishing. So you never actually, your, uh, your, your music. And even a lot of artists sign away their actual, what's referred to as your, your, uh, your, your music identity toward even the, the hip-hop name that you've chosen, even if it's your real name, can become property of their record label. That is exactly what happened to Prince, which is why he wrote the word slave over over his face for a period of time. He didn't even own his own rights to his to his musical name. And so the biggest damper and problem is, again, going back to us not studying law and not understanding what it actually means to be in business for ourselves. The same position we have and problems we have in terms of any economic position in this in this country is the same in the entertainment industry. If we are not empowering ourselves and learning what is being done to us and learning how to make our own moves to develop economic power, then we get pimped. So from the music industry, it's no different. They slide you that contract. Nowadays, you don't even need a contract. You can independently uh, uh, market yourself with the, uh, the access to the Internet. You don't need a, a, a distribution contract anymore. All of these things basically boil down to you have to, as an artist, learn and develop and realize how you can be independent and how you can market yourself and have control over your product and your name, your trademark, copyrights, and everything yourself. Black Power. Black Power. I'm trying to let me see. Get the brother. Mm. That's right on there you go. Your mic your mic's open now, Chamaco. Yeah. Ward, that was right on time. That is called Black Power. That's called independence, and I like the way you broke it down. We must study law. We must study government. We must, we must study all of that 
See, it ain't enough to walk the street and throw a fist up and say black power when we ignorant of the law. Ain't enough to throw our fist and say black power when we ignorant of the power. The, po- uh, the politicians running our community, we don't know the platform program. See, brothers think black power is something that is spooky that will come out the sky. No, man, it's about humanity, and we as an African people, and we must understand the condition we're in, and we must study, and I say this, we must study our enemy. War, you dropped the bomb, brother. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And that's what it's about. And it goes back to, you know, like we were saying, it's just about taking control. As long as we're never in control of. And it takes that. And I'm going to always go back to, again, taking that culture uh, that that having a racial pride. And when I say racial pride, racial pride to the sense of, a racial pride in the sense of self-worth, knowing that you as a human being, and a human being belonging to the particular race you belong to are worth something. And that it's and anything worth having is worth working for. We have to get out of the slave mentality, the consumer mentality, the dependent mentality. You know, it's easier for us like I can understand, you know, like war broke down and you talk about a person who knows all of those you know, is very good at breaking that those things down. He broke down the trap up, and the but the trap, the whole trap up is the allure, what they're promising, what we see, what they push before us. These are the evils in capitalism, especially capitalism, the way that most minorities practice it, and we practice a consumer capitalism. Understand me. We don't practice a capitalism that enriches us. And thank God, because we, we shouldn't want to benefit off the exploitation of others, but we practice consumer capitalism. What is that? That means we contribute to this country because we buy every damn thing. We are not accountable. We are just loose change that adds up. The change, you know, those big water jugs that you just keep dropping quarters in with, you know, with the equivalent of that. We add up, and it's loose change. So it's a tough. You know, it's very few. It's very few. The smart ones begin to understand the pattern, of, the pattern of us. So they corner. So they they corner the market on us, like the Koreans, with their hair and the nails. They understood. They played up to the vanity of the black man as a black woman. They understood that. They understood, uh, you know, where they could fit in in the capitalist dream by, you know, um, and benefit from the exploitation of capitalism through uh, um, lowering the morals and the standards. Not even morals and standards, because there's nothing wrong with women beautifying themselves. Let's say by prioritizing. And I'm not even mad at women beautifying themselves. I think that that's a natural thing. But at some point in time, I think that sisters should begin to question why we spend billions, why they find themselves looking as Korean in the face. And it doesn't mean that it's going to change anything. My sister is one of the top stylists in Atlanta as far as natural hair care. And she, you know, woke up to that and began to question it and tried to get into that wholesale market. 
And it didn't change a thing, and I don't think it would change anything overnight, but what it would serve to do is to wake our black butts up about the power of nationalism for practice. We don't get it. We wouldn't feel for you and we wouldn't buy for you no matter what your price is. This is what she told me, so you don't get it. We only buy from our own. That you don't get it. We wouldn't buy from you. Or sell it to you at that discount no matter what your price is. We only buy it from our own. And so we'll begin to when confronted with nationalism. Blake, I think it does two things. What I hope that it does is begin to anger us enough to want to become active, not react reactionary. I'm not talking about balling up your fist and punching that sucker in the eye, though you would love to, and it probably would feel wonderful. Wouldn't be very beneficial, though. But I'm talking about such an anger that begins to stir you to take some type of action against such blatant uh, racism, discrimination, and outright screw you. And not action that you're still going to one oppressor about your new oppressor. I'm going to an oppressive people who've been oppressing me historically forever to complain about this new foreign oppressor. No, to stir you to action to galvanize and organize amongst us to have your to have your but it goes back to what again what we're talking about those sacrifices that it's going to take you know it may take doing your own nails or going to uh, and getting your nails done for a minute you may not can do that fancy design like you do it or whatever and even for brothers you know, it may take us whatever we get that's outside of our circle or outside of our immediate providing. We, if it isn't a necessity of life, we may have to examine it. Are we really ready for free? See, I see us in the post and I, I hear the talk and the rhetoric. And like I said, living in an age of sensationalism and rhetoric, living in an age where we have a President Trump who probably is one of the most, I mean, you know, listen, I watch the news just to see what's going to come out of his mouth. Pure entertainment. It's just safe for entertainment purposes only. So we're living in an age where the most outlandish, outrageous type of statements and shit you can say is actually passing as something. And it's given a lot of sense. So it's very tempting for people who, especially are people who have always been down trying to not get attention to jump out there and say something. This could be my moment. I could be the resurrection of Dr. Khaled Abdul-Mahal. Now is the time, and we jump out there and say something dumb as hell. Not only is it devoid of any real practical solution for black people, but it only serves to endanger yourself in whatever way. Very sensationalism. I understand the allure and the appeal. And so we run to that, and we grab the guns, and we take posts, and we don't even, and we do all of this major stuff without even taking the time, like you said, that the chief says, you were saying, um, Chairman uh, Griffin, you were saying that the chief says it begins with you or starts with you or, or yourself. Or yourself. The revolution begins with just changing the way you interact with your family. You used to interact as a colonized Negro 
You used to do shit because this is what you were taught. You thought was the right thing based on social kindness, conditioning, television, whatever influenced you. But now the revolution influences you. Now black nationalism is your guiding philosophy, doing things that empower you personally, specifically, and uh, general as a whole. That these are your guiding principles. And these are what you weigh your decisions by. Now try interacting with your family on that. Try interacting on your family with integrity and honor. See, this is a whole different being from being the nigga. When we say war has been declared against us as black Americans, war hasn't been declared against the nigga. They'll never declare war against the nigga. The nigga is celebrated. The nigga is commended. The bigger the nigga, the bigger the reward. The nigga, they, they, they love a nigga. A nigga justifies the treatment. From, and niggas make up, and let me tell you this, even though people are, yeah, my nigga, he's a nigga, that's ghetto, this nigga. Niggas make up a very small percentage of the black masses of African people here in America. Very small percentage. We have to be careful by allowing them, not to allow them to stereotype us and to use those type of things. And we can be mouthed in how we do it in the beginning. We can pull our brothers inside in the beginning, but if he still persists to be a nigger, then niggas must be out of it. Niggas must be exposed. But first, we have to make sure, this is why I say black nationalism is the guiding force. We have to make sure that we know what we're defined as a nigger. See, you can't be have a colonized mind state and then Defy and be one that defies the nigger, because you may be one that hates black people, maybe one that hates expression, you may be one that hates rebellion. Everything we see our young people doing is not just out of sheer ignorance. Some of it is a sign of rebellion. I can remember when the two earrings came in. My grandma told me only little girls wear two earrings. Now it was funny to see a brother with just one. You see, yeah, so things are. Not just to be, you know, out there, it's a sign of expression. The healthy society provides a medium and a platform for that expression to be out there, but also has been so involved in the rearing and the nurturing of their community that they also have a structure for that to be realized in and materialized in. That's how I get most of my men. <laughs> one of the wars against us is that they have somebody needs to mute their phone. Uh, I won't have to turn mics off. I know someone's going to want to. Okay, let me. Oh, my goodness. This thing is closed on. Um, one of the. Sorry, my, my computer is just. One of the things that we have to understand is we were saying a war, a war was waged against us, a war has been declared on us, is that to make us to have a disassociation or an apathy from our own people. We will have an apathy from our own people. We won't get involved. That's not our child. See, once they can divorce you, 
from your people once they can make you stop caring, once you can turn a blind eye to the things that you're doing to one another and the things happening to you during this open season. And I don't know if the reality of that really speaks through with us as a people. That we have to move as a united front. It's like where I can, it's like we find most of our people hollering, I don't want to be bothered with that black stuff. This is what you'll find them hollering. I don't want to be bothered with that black stuff. And why not? One of the reasons is because it has never been um, lived or shown to them in such a manner that they have ever seen it as beneficial. And listen, I can't, my computer is down, so if I have callers calling in, I can't see you, and I apologize. So I can't open the mic. The thing is, we see that, um, man, I lost my phone so much. One of the things is that we find, so when we find that when they're howling, I don't want to hear that black stuff and they don't understand what has been declared against them because they haven't seen it lived in such a manner that it is applicable to them. Why do I keep reiterating this? Why do I keep going over this? Because in these modern times, our movement has been hijacked. And I don't know if it's intentional. I don't know if it's intentional or not, but our movement has been hijacked, and it has been betrayed in the most ridiculous manner. And that's to discourage the serious element of the black community in participating in their own liberation struggle. So you have to understand that the oppressor knows what demographic of the community to attack and how to attack. Let me run down what I just said. The oppressor knows what group of Negroes like grape soda and what group of you Negroes drink Heineken. They have you already mapped out and figured out. So they know how to attack you. They know if they want to keep a more um, economically sufficient or um, stable class from taking some of the economics and investing it in the movement, they know if they want to keep a class of African people who may not be quite as radical as another class of African people away from participating in the liberation struggle, they parade their nightmare in front of them. I've seen it. And I've seen some of you Negroes. If you ain't ready to die for the revolution, if you ain't ready to die, Negro, if you ain't ready to die, Negro, what the hell? I want to live. <laughs> Bruh, is it okay? Listen, Yango wants to live. So Yango's fighting for his life. If that means dying to live, I'm dying to live. I'm not living to die. I'm not living to die. I'm fighting for my life, and I'm fighting for the life of African people in America. And the life of my children in Houston should be fighting for life. No, she, she know I read my stuff. And you should be put your phone on mute. You know, they can't nip back to 10 Hey, baby, I'm going to put the phone on mute. Is it for real? Well, we're going to keep it going. 
<laughs> we're we're talking about you know that type of thing. We should be fighting the bill. Chairman Carr, put your phone on mute, brother. So we should be, we should be, and that's what the whole mission should be about. We have to be careful from being sidetracked. Chairman Carr. Yes. Put your phone on mute. Put your phone on mute, brother, please. Okay. You got hey, it, man. Uh, I'm going to get off the line because I'm on the road. Yeah, please, because we done heard the whole conversation. Thank you. Yeah, man. Pardon me, man. He didn't call me at an irritated moment. Sorry, we're doing travel, travel, travel radio, travel radio. Anything's liable to happen. Um. So this is what we uh this is what the whole mission is about. This is what black nationalism is about. This is what the real war against black America is about. They're not warring against the nigga. It is about you and I that are conscious and not just conscious in the sense that we can quote black facts, but conscious in the sense that we have a real um assessment of the issues that affect black people and we are willing. And we are willing to come together to formulate solutions and begin to create programs to fruition the solution that we have discussed together collectively. A people, a communalism. We're willing to do that and come together. This is what the war is against. This is why you have the things of black identity extremists and this going on and that going on. And without a solid ideology, without a sound ideology, you find many, and here's the unfortunate truth, many sincere brothers and sisters succumbing to the traps of devils didn't have a firm grasp of their ideology and not knowing that black nationalism is not an ideology of destruction. So when one comes with destruction, we tell them that is not black nationalism. Black nationalism is not an ideology of hate. So when one comes with hate, I tell them that's not black nationalism, but shit, you know, I understand what you're talking about. <laughs> I know why you hate them. You know, I, I can't tell you that that's black nationalism, but I can tell you, I feel, I feel you. I have to be true to the code. Why? Because black nationalism is not about white. So wait, what you mean it ain't about hate, brother? I hate that crack. What do you do? I tell you, hey, listen, I feel you. But black nationalism, as an ideology and a philosophy, is a humanistic understanding, and a humanistic understanding states that we believe every human being has the right to reach its highest, and that's to evolve at its highest, fullest human potential, unencumbered. I feel like every human being has that right. Get mad at me. Here it comes, here it comes, here it comes, here it comes, even that white boy. Even the white boy. Go ahead on. Go ahead on. So this is not what we're saying, but what we are saying, in that don't mistake my loving humanity, my loving the world, my wanting to restore order and balance to the cosmos as a weakness 
Your right may be to aspire to your highest human potential, but if it is wicked and evil and depraved in nature, where it involves the oppression and exploitation of me as a human being, then it is within my right to use every and any means to stop the oppression of it and my people. And then oppress people universally. Oppression is the enemy. That is what we are about. That is the revolution. That will be the awakening. That will be the success of the African man, woman here in America, coming to that understanding, grasping a strong, sound ideology and philosophy, moving away from, I'm not saying don't have no feelings. You did. It's impossible to. How many times have you heard me share with you, brothers and sisters, when I'm on um, Facebook, how disheartening it is to be on there and to see uh, policemen, these people that are supposed to serve and protect and all this good stuff just wailing away or murdering or uh, humiliating brothers and sisters. I mean, it's just common practice now. They ain't even trying to hide it. Body cams and that. Everybody thought the body cam, everybody thought the body cam would act as some type of discouragement. Body cam or not, we find uh, white privilege, the, the, the attitude of entitlement winning through every time. No matter what measure you put in place, they try to do what? Uh, uh, affirmative action, civil rights legislation. They always try to put something in place to try to soften the bullshit. But you can't change human attitude. You can't change human sentiment with law. And even your fancy treatments called body cams. The racism, the sense of white entitlement and white privilege is interwoven in the fabric of America. Don't get mad at me. Where's everybody mad at me for saying that for? I guess are you saying very mad about I didn't do it? I'm forced in fact, hell, I'm with you. I'm forced to look at the ugly truth. I don't want to see the ugly truth. I would love to cow God flip me away. I tried it, I got deep in the Islamic the community. Read right out of the whole nine, not knocking the Muslims, Slamalaikum Aki. Got you. Not mad at you. I did all of that to escape the hard, brutal reality of what I was facing, and not just the brutal reality of what I was facing, but who the pit masters was behind it. I was taught to love a lot of these people. Hell, I grew up, you forget, yesterday was my birthday. I'm 46. I grew up in the era of happy days. My hero was the $6 million men, pirates and cowboys. I had white heroes. There was no black. I didn't, a Negro didn't appear on TV to Mr. T. And that's what they gave us. But, shit, we, we laughed it up. Shit, hell, yeah, Mohawk to 09. I wanted one. Thank God my mama had sent because I was crazy as hell. I wanted one of those. She was like, boy, I know you're a black man, but damn. It's the T. So we're coming up in that era, so I understand the colonized mind state. I understand wanting to escape that harsh reality, but eventually. And we thank the ancestors and whatever force drove me to this current course that I'm on, I began to realize that there was no way to escape it. And my looking at it head on and um, addressing the issues doesn't make me racist. It doesn't make me prejudiced. It doesn't make me look at any other ethnicity lesser than myself for me being superior. It makes me a human being. Why? Because I love myself and the people whom I belong to and in doing that to the broader of humanity. Boom, sit in. I don't see color, brother. Uh, okay. 
kick your ass out of the car at midnight in one of them white them back streets in Georgia. Five white boys walk up on you. And I'm right. You don't see color. No, they're just your brothers. They're light-skinned brothers. How about the light-skinned brothers? Let's be realistic. They did a study where they took some brothers and um, put, they, I think they took 10 black people, 10 white people, put them in a room together. They said within the first two minutes, each gravitated towards its own ethnicity, naturally. It just white boys got on one side, black dudes got on the other side. Then eventually, within like three, four, five minutes, they ventured out and began to shake hands. Hey, how you doing? Bob, I'm Jeff. What's up, buddy? Just that. But initially, they gravitated to what was familiar, what was comfortable. So nationalism, solidarity is natural. Like we always hear Jeremy Carr say, it is natural. It is nothing to be ashamed of. That is one of the ways that they have declared and waged war on us. They have us ashamed to say that I like being black. I'm okay with being black. It's cool being black, and I want to help black people. I want to see us do better, be in a better condition. I want us to do better for ourselves, and I want people to stop. Burbage alert if you got kids in the night. And I want people to stop messing with us. That's all we're saying. What you want, man, I want us to do better as a people. I want us to tighten up, get our thing together. And I want outside forces to stop messing with us. What do you mean by that? I want us to spend our own dollars together and I want us to stick together so somebody pick on us. Really? What's that called? Black nationalism. Wow. Really? Yeah. This is black nationalism. It's sticking together. Black nationalism is not a religion. It's what you got to love about it. All religions can belong to it. The Honorable Marcus Messiah Garvey said it most eloquently and said it best, and he said it plain. I learned later learned that I was just taught by a poet friend of mine. That's what's called a haiku, a haiku, a haiku, something profound in a very short state that people write poems in haikus. So this is a haiku. I hope you've learned something like I did. The Honorable Marcus Messiah Garvey said, race first. Race first. It's that simple. It is no deep secret of the sphinx, sphinx where you got to put your lip to the ear. It's no deciphering the nemonamic code and none of that. It's simple, man. Put your race first. Put your race first. Think about your race first. You know, think about your race and all those things will go through. And the whole thing, I do that with my children. When I'm with my children, I put race first. Sucker, get out of line right here. I'm ready to, you know, sucker, say something, man. He's fly, you know, and I, I want to go off on this Negro. I'm off in the Walmart one day. Got my little man with me, Amaru. Dude's talking about some sister. I mean, but, you know, he's young, like 20-some-odd, and he's being profane. I mean, he just, I mean, he's explicit, body parts, in the most vulgar way he can say it. So in my mind, you know, I'm like, man, I want to check this dude. I got my little man here. Ain't nobody soft, man. Nobody want to hear all this. He got sisters around. I'm ready to go off. Race first. Race first. Here's an opportunity for my son to see conflict resolution. My son's watching. Here's an opportunity for my son to see how an self-identified, African man here in America, one with African traits that is thinking, black guys are putting, you know, race first. Let me not be nigga-nigga confrontation here. Let it not be nigga-nigga confrontation. Let me take this moment, teach about the finer side, the more refined, the more intellectual side, the more problem-solving side about race to my son. I don't give a damn what nobody else is saying. My son, oh, man, shit, here's an opportunity to be super dad. Show you how not and turned around at first, I was like, man, how you handle it? Because 
I'm used to the confrontation. Nigga, nigga. Hey, nigga, damn, nigga. I'm cussing more, telling him about cussing. <laughs> cussing more, telling him not to cuss in front of my child, and he's using from nigga, please, nigga, get, get, nigga, 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 But I turned to the brother, man, to the deep brother, I said, hey, my dude, boom, got my little man here. I was like, oh, my bad, uncle. I was I was pleasantly surprised. I was like, okay, that's pretty cool. But I'm just saying, when we put race first, race first, race first is having a love and compassion. I'm not saying be sucker. I'm not saying take and tolerate anything. I'm saying that the first thing, look for uh, uh, resolution to all things. Putting race in all things. Bare minimum. If we have to go in stores that don't belong to us, bare minimum. Buying things that cutting back on things that we don't absolutely need sometimes. I'm not even going to say absolutely. I'm saying enjoy yourself. You only live once. I'm, I'm, I know a lot of my brothers and sisters out there on the national are still going to be upset with me. Oh, brother, what you said. Man, listen, go to the theater. Enjoy yourself. Enjoy life. You only live once. But what I'm saying, moderation and mindfulness. If we can find places that facilitate our need, I highly strongly suggest I push. That's where you go. But enjoy yourself nonetheless. Don't suffer because right now we haven't created the places to be able to relieve some of the stress of everyday life or that take an opportunity to spend moments with the ones we love and our children, our wives, you know, whatever, mothers, fathers. Take advantage of that. And if it bothers you so much, don't be one of those. I don't do nothing because we ain't got nothing black, so I don't do nothing. I don't, then go create something, brother, sister. Don't do that. Don't be that brother, sister. Don't be that brother, sister. Condemning and critiquing everything that black people do and not producing solutions. Then be someone who produces that. Start to put together a group or organization that can produce that. Be one of your missions in life. You were upset that you had to go without black ice cream, black ice cream maker. Help some brothers get together, find some dairy, some makers, some ice cream people, and let's put that together. Everything counts. This is the only way that we will succeed. And that's black nationally. And that's understanding the war. That's when you begin to understand that the war is against you. This is what I mean, knowing that the war has been declared. Why? Because some of us, like I said in my open dialogue, some of us still are waiting for tanks and bombs and soldiers to jump out of cars. And and the war has been declared and being waged very subtly, very subtly, very undercover, and it's been effective. Let us embrace this thing called black nationalism. Let's Encourage one another to practice it, not just politically, but socially and culturally, economically, and educationally. Then we will begin to see how black nationalism will be more effective politically, how it will manifest itself in our politics that we address. And when I say politics, I'm not just talking about the politics that we learned from here in America. I'm talking politics in the revolutionary sense of what I did, Brother Deputy Chair Fred Hampton, Sr., of the Chicago, Illinois Black Cats Party for Self-Defense Day. Politics is everything and everything is politics. Those types of politics. When revolutionary politics become 
the mathematics in which you equate all factors. That's a whole nother level. That's a whole nother show. We ain't going to go there yet. That's a, that's a whole nother being. It's a whole nother manifestation. Let us just work on first being aware, even in the quiet times, in the still times, in the times where everything are going absolutely wonderful. And I'm not even going to say just appear to be wonderful. They might absolutely be wonderful in your life. Know that that's just called a law. A ceasefire, a temporary brief moment. Don't be disillusioned by it. Don't be, like they say, low to sleep by it. Remain vigilant. Remain active. Remain organized. Remain living this life because even in the times where you're not sitting down and um, studying it from a text, getting it from a technological standpoint, still living it in such a manner that it becomes, um, you know, it, it's, it's life lesson. It's not nothing that you have to go over because it inhabits your every day. It's a part of you. It's a part of you. So it doesn't have to be rehashed and rehearsed. It just is as simple as you waking up breathing. And you would be surprised how this will transmit to our children, which is the most important part, transmits to the children, how the children will begin to absorb this culture of resistance. And why is the culture of resistance good for our children to have? Because I'm not talking, this is what I mean by the problems I have with this age of romanticism and this age of rhetoric and sensationalism. When you say resistance, brothers, you know, naturally begin to think about guns and, you know, the underground, which is cool. Everybody needs that fantasy. But when I say resistance, talking about a determination, this culture of resistance. And why is it good for our children to have it? Because this culture of resistance, in other words, determination, will prevent them from falling into the traps that we fall into. The culture of resistance will tell them that drugs are bad. It's not going to make you reiterate it. The culture of resistance will say that. Why? Because it will be something that hinders the development and the empowerment of African people in America. It ain't even something you have to say. Drugs are no, this are no. The culture of resistance will be that because resistant culture also brings about a sense of self-worth. It brings about a sense of self-worth. And so when you have that sense of self-worth, you're not going to want to diminish it. Why do you think you see those a lot of those people in those countries fighting so hard when colonizers, and even as we did in certain countries, when colonizers came to um, colonize us, it is hard to enslave free people. It's hard to enslave free people. And so that's what we that's what we find. I got my computer back up. Let me see. I think. So let me go to the let's see if Brother Chairman wanted to come back. Brother Chairman, was you trying to come back in? Brother, I'm just sitting Brother to your honorable chair and yes. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. If you want to add something, I can put my computer back open. Okay, yeah, definitely want to add on to what you've been saying 
And um, it's just, you know, I guess when it all boils down to it, brother, it's just loving who you are and, once again, loving what you're about and believing in that. You know, that's 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 the bottom line of, of what I'm getting and not being so distraction, uh, be distracted on, on everything that's being uh, set in front of the table. And like you say, we, we, we have to be disciplined in self, you know, like you, like you were just saying for us being, uh, doing things in moderate moderation, you know, when you was talking about the sisters, uh, you know, it's all right to beautify yourself, but sometimes you have to, to sit back and ask yourself, it, what am I really getting out of this? And, and how is this really going to help me later on in life? Or what is this doing for me when you're naturally beautiful? You know, understanding that you was created with beauty. So you don't have to go add on to something to make something what it is that already is what it is. And I think that that's a, a systematic uh, a way to get us to spend our money, to keep us in, 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 in a financial institution or, or in a finance, financial state of bondage uh, 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 through ignorance. You see what I'm saying, Brother Yangus? I mean, we, we buy so much stuff that we don't need, but we believe we need it because society uh, tells us we need it. So, you know, that's, that's, that's just my take of it, sir. I mean, that's a, that's a wonderful assessment because that's absolutely right. And society, so it works. I mean, that's what, you know, one of the things that, you know, France Fanon, that, and he's a writer we'll be studying, Brother Chairman, France Fanon talks about it. He talks about yes, sir. you're rich because you're white and you're white because you're rich. He talks about how race and class are interwoven and have been used, how race was used to oppress the people, to create class. Classism was built off of, uh, especially in America, off of racism. So, right. Yeah, you see what I'm saying? So we say that they work interchangeable. I say that to say that's what they mean by keeping us ignorant of who we are. And, right. and and our lack of sense of self-worth keeps the economy going because we believe our success is me- our, our success is measured by our material possession. You did where I'm coming from. Yes, You're more successful. Yes, the more you own, the more you own, the more successful you are. According right. to, the- and that's what keeps the economy right. going. So, our our ignorance of self is actually economical to the oppressor. That's why racism and white supremacy must be kept in effect. Huh. It's good for the yes, economy. <laughs> it's good for the economy. And black nationalism scares them on that aspect. On that aspect. If you don't have that racism, if you don't have that uh, that divide like that, then you can't suppress the people as easily. You see, one so, of the so, things that so, go ahead, brother. Brother Chairman, so just a question here. So can we look at can we look at ignorance as an institution? You know what I'm saying? Um, like you were saying, like an institution of learning, like anything, you know, they keep us ignorant, but they keep us in this sense of of of, of being. You see what I'm saying? Like a systematic structure. And and because of our ignorance, everything for us how we live and how we think or how we progress forward. You see what I'm saying? What we teach our kids and what we eat. You know what I'm saying? Our dreams and our aspirations are caught up in the system just because we're ignorant. Yeah, well, it depends. Exactly. You're right. And and But the approach is going to depend on what level of ignorance you're caught up in. Right. Some, people are ignorant right. because, some people are ignorant because they don't know. 
And some people are literally ignoring. They're ignoring. Right. They're ignoring. They're ignoring. Right. They don't want to hear right. it. They didn't heard it. They know it. They're ignoring the advice you're giving. They're ignoring the things you're saying. So the approach and the effect of what, what the fruit that's going to be you know, it depends on what level of ignorance that person is participating in or participating Correct. in. Correct. You know, and that's where we have to learn to draw the line. That's where we is that's why we say all my skin folk ain't my kin folk. You know, I would deal with the ignorant people. I deal with those people that don't know. Give them an opportunity. But then when they become ignoring blatantly and willfully ignoring, then that's where we have to draw the line. Right. Right. You know. Because those are people that would just continue to play games with you, making a mockery of what you believe. You know, if you keep coming back and finding yourself arguing with the same clown and you didn't put forth every effort, you didn't even brought them paperwork and they still got something to say, then that's someone making the money. That's someone that's ignoring, you know. Right. And someone makes right. profit. Clearly, I'm wasting my time. I'm going to frustrate myself and I might even black your eye. So to save me and you the trouble, I'm going to distance and separate myself. All my skin folk right. are my skin folk. Right. You right. feel me? Right. Yes, sir. And, and yes, that's it's heartbreaking because when we first come into this thing as black nationalists, our, our, our sincerest desire is to save every and each single black right. man, woman, child, and baby. We want to save them all. But we always do. remember, yes, I'm telling you, yeah, that yes, skin folk is not my skin folk. Ideology. Your brothers are one of of the same ideology. Right. You see? Right. Yes, That's sir. your brother and sister. That's your yes, brother sir. and sister. Yes. The one of the same ideology. You know, right. everybody else in certain points are my peers and my responsibility. Right. But I can't truly call, call you brother out of common courtesy because I don't know your name, you know, because we're from that same family, so to speak. But that's in a generic sense. Right. It's in the right, sense of black right. hub, black unity, black solidarity. But in the sense of working with, sleeping with, actually trying to get some things together with and investing in, it has to be on the same ideology or we're just like a hamster spinning our wheels and not accomplishing anything. Right, right. You know. Yes, sir. Running the circles. <laughs> So we start, but I'm confident, brother. I'm telling you why I'm confident. Yes, sir. I'm confident that we will uh, get this thing together. Hold on. Okay. Oh, yes, sir. That definitely. 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 I believe it in my spirit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So this is how we know that we say, y'all have to pardon me because I'm Voices, you know, is that this is how we know and that we say that uh, we know a war is being declared against us. And it's just about being prepared for it. You know, it's just about being prepared for it. And, it, and in the yes, preparation, there's no activities that come with it, there's no medals that come with it. It is just about being real, being sincere, being sincere to yourself, to your race, and to humanity. To yourself, to your yes, race, and, and humanity. Yes, Understanding sir. being very compassionate 
And I can't stress this enough in our closing minutes, the compassion we must have towards one another, knowing that a war has been declared against us, and knowing that our people are acting out Iraq. Right, right. That they're suffering. Like I said, it doesn't mean take in any and everything, but it does mean to take into consideration that a person may be acting out irrationally, and more so in our household, with our children and our women. Our black nationalism right. starts in, sisters and sisters, with your husbands and your children, or your men and your children. Your black nationalism starts there. So listen, it's been a wonderful show. I want to thank everyone who tuned in, took some time out on their Tuesday list. Steve Grip, um, um, Jeremy Griffin, thank you definitely, brother. I know you're on the road, super busy doing your thing. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. For, um, you know, hanging in there and coming on and sharing with us. And today we'll catch you guys next Tuesday. I'll leave you as I greet you. All power to oppressed people, African power to an African people, and black power. Black power, all power to the people. All honor to you, Honorable Chairman Yangin. We love you, sir.